Amen. Thank you, Sean and uh, worship team for uh, leading us this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the book of Joshua, and we will continue our study and our walk, a journey in faith in Joshua chapter 7. We will look this morning at a message that I have entitled, Defeat in the Land of Victory. Defeat in the Land of Victory. Last week, uh, we looked at the Battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, and we saw a couple of keys to victory in that sermon and in that uh, passage last week. The, the first key to victory at Jericho, as well as in your life or in my life, even today, was that victory had already been won. God had already brought victory to the children of Israel. And second, it was that conventional wisdom that you and I might adhere to, that you and I might seek after and long for, but that conventional wisdom was not... God's M.O. And from there, I took somewhat of a sidestep to uh, speak about the the Christian life or the crucified life. And so I want to pick back up in Joshua's story and in the journey that is here at Jericho. And so I want to read a few verses. They will not be on the screen. And then I want us to see in chapter 7 what occurs. But here is Joshua chapter 6 starting in verse number 18. A command from God to Joshua to the children of Israel. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction. And bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went into the city. Every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Heavenly Father, I bow that as we spend these moments, this time, that we would pay careful attention to the Word. To the words that you gave your people as they were about to see you do a mighty work of victory. Father, I pray that these that are here this morning would hear from you. Father, that you would uncover things that we cover up. Father, you would allow us as individuals to see things that we think we have hidden from every single person, entity in the world. 
And Father, you wouldn't let me leave this place. You wouldn't let us leave this place without dealing with what you uncovered. For Lord, above everything else, every single person that is hearing me, every single person that is praying with me this morning needs a right standing with you. And the only way that that will take place is if sin is dealt with. And it's got to be dealt with on your terms. I understand that. So, Father, I pray that you would allow me to speak your word. You would allow me to explain this text, what is going on in Joshua chapter 7, what's going on in Joshua chapter 8, so that we today, Father, would hear from you that your spirit would be speaking into our hearts and into our minds in such a way that you would receive glory and honor as never before. Father, you would speak clearly to me. You would speak clearly to us. And we would give you the praise. We would walk in obedience. Father, it's a, a tough passage of Scripture to internalize, to take as an individual, to take personally. And Lord, I pray that you would allow that to take place this morning for every man and woman, boy and girl that is in this place. God, use me. Father, speak into our hearts and into our lives this morning. I beg you in Christ's name. Amen. Keep yourselves from the things devoted to to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things, make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction, and bring trouble upon it. Chapter 7, verse 1 reads, But the people of Israel broke faith. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned. The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people of Israel melted 
and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Defeat in the land of victory. What a passage of Scripture. What, what a, an event that took place. The highest of highs to see God just by the shout of a trumpet and the shouts of thousands of people walking around a walled city to see the wall fall and to see victory come about. And then, hey, just take two or 3,000 guys up there. It's a small place. There's not very many folks. You can go up there and you can just thump them and they're done. And to see the army of Israel, the army of the Lord, run and 36 die. Because of one person. And one person's sin. Defeat in the land of victory. The first point this morning is this. Unconfessed sin brings devastation on a people. Unconfessed sin. Sin in and of itself, in and of itself, brings devastation on a people. And you think, you know what, Brian? Your sin really doesn't mean anything for me, or maybe I'm saying your sin doesn't mean anything to me. And oh, how wrong we are. My sin cost you. Your sin cost me. Our sin cost us greatly. And it is exampled in this passage and other passages but in this passage, even before Joshua knew about the sin, even before he knew what had occurred, devastation was coming about. Oh, Joshua, just send two or three thousand up there. They're small. It's not going to be a very big battle. It's not going to take very long. You send a couple of thousand folks up there, and you will just annihilate those at AI, and we will just move on. But what Joshua didn't know is that there was sin in the camp. What Joshua didn't take time to think about, what he didn't take time to call out to God about was, Lord, what would you have for me to do? What would you have for us to do? And because of that, 36 Israelites died. Not because of their sin. Not not because of what they had done in their lives, but because of what one one man by the name of Achan did. They died. Small little number of folks killed 36 Israelites as they attacked. And it sent shockwaves through the camp. 
Joshua tore his clothes. He fell on the ground before the Lord and he threw dust on himself. And all the leaders of Israel did the same. To some degree, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth from the leadership thinking that God had left them and that God had failed them. Have you ever found yourself there? Thinking that God just left you. Thinking that God failed you, left the scene, left you alone. Joshua's action in chapter 7 verses 1 through 9 to send the 3,000 up to Ai. It might not have been a blatant sin, and I don't think that it was, or he would have spoken about it being a part of the sin. But I think that it is something for you and for me to think about in our lives and in our actions today. How often do we just see what's next on the horizon and say, all right, we'll just go do it? How often do we nonchalantly, not even questioning, not even thinking, all right, Lord, is this the next step that you have for me? Is this the next step that you have for us as a family? And we just say, all right, hey, it's a yellow brick road. Let's just follow it. Because I took the last step, and it seems like there's the next step, and it brings destruction. If Joshua would have called out to the Lord, 36 Israelites would not have been If you and I would call out to the Lord to say, all right, Lord, what's the next step? We're surrendered to you. We're dependent on you. How many missteps would we not make? Continuing to go down the path with no prayers, asking God if this is still the time, still the direction, still the action, is selfishness. It's independence when we are to be dependent. Where we must have humiliation, where we must have selflessness, dependence, and living upon God, it is the opposite. When I speak about sin this morning, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I, I had a a number of folks praying this week for this time. We have prayed over every single one of the chairs that you are sitting in. Uh, a number of us have. And the whole time as we were praying and as I've been thinking this week, when I say that three-letter word, sin, S-I-N, I know there are things that come up in your mind. I know they are because they come up in my mind. It's something like this. Either I greatly reduce my sin and I greatly increase your sin. Don't you feel good about your pastor now? You know, somebody else's sin, if it's not my sin, oh, that's the worst thing ever. I mean, it is, it's like on a scale of 1 to 10, it's 2047. It is terrible. But if it's my sin... You know, it really doesn't have a hold on me. I don't have to do it. I, I, I have control of it. And I have it in this little section of my life and no other. And so you downplay your sin or you um, excel 
escalate somebody else's sin, and I understand that. You say about your own sin, hey, it's not bothering me. It's not bothering me at all. I'm living a pretty good life. I have a job. I have some toys. I have shoes, clothes, time, energy to do what I want. Life is pretty good. But maybe in thinking about this, you say, wow, 36 people died. 36 people died because of somebody else's sin. Maybe your thought is this, why in the world? I I sinned just like Achan did. Why am I still alive? Your unconfessed sin, my unconfessed sin is costing you, is costing me. Sin in the life of a believer, sin in the life of a believer quenches the Holy Spirit of God. It hinders His directing your lives. There's a disconnect from Just like that of Israel's destruction of Jericho to their defeat at Ai. And it happens in you and it happens in me as well. Sin reigning in your life will bring no victory to your life. It only brings destruction. Some of you here today, if we were honest, if we were honest, we'd say, you know what, I'm just keeping my head above water. I mean, there's some waves sometimes that come this past week. There's some things that are on the horizon, and I can just see them building up. And if they come, I know I'm going to have to hold my breath because I'm going underwater for a little while. But, but I can just get back up and take another breath. Struggling. You're coming here periodically and you're getting some spiritual food every now and then. And that's not making it. That's not victory. That's defeat. It's devastation to a Christian spiritual life. It's living this life like you and I have 2% left on our battery. And there's things in our phones that on 2% of battery life, they're already shutting down. And there are things in your life that are already shutting down and you are on survival mode and that is not life. You and I were made to soar with the eagles. That's what he created you to. Not to flap around with the penguins. You and I were made. We were created. It was his desire for you to roam the Serengeti. Yet, A lot of the times, you and I find ourselves at the Memphis Zoo at a little exhibit, caged up. Because of choices you make and choices I make and decisions that you and I have made that have caused a disconnect, a devastation, and a defeat in our lives. God does not want, desire for you to live there. You say, well, Brian, why does he allow me to do it? Why does he allow me, why does he allow you to to keep living instead of killing you like he did Achan? I'll give you two reasons I believe that he does that today. 
One, it's only because of His grace. It's only because of His mercy, His loving kindness on you. He looks at you, He looks at me and says, Yep, you are a sinner. Yep, you should die. But because of my steadfast love, because of my mercy, because of my grace, I'm going to give you some more time. And I will not kill you today. You deserve to be killed. I deserve to be killed. But God, because of His grace, His mercy, He does not do that today. But second, I think you and I might need to just chew on it for a moment. I believe He does that for us. So that we would see this life that we don't have. In hopes that you and I would come to our senses and that we would confess that sin, that we would have fellowship with Him, and that you and I might have victory. He allows us to live through that unconfessed sin and through that, oh, I gotta have another breath. Oh, I gotta, there's so much on top of me, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. He allows that feeling so that you might run back to Him and say, Oh God, I don't wanna live like that. question for you and for me is why don't we come back why don't we come back and confess our sin why don't we come back afresh and anew and bow our knees and confess with our mouth to the king for the Christian there is nothing greater there is nothing greater for the believer in Christ there is nothing greater than to come back and have a clean slate before our creator before our god before our king before our savior these words these words that Joshua has as he tore his clothes these words as he threw dust on his head these words alas oh god Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? Why have you brought the hands of the Amorites on us to destroy us? Why didn't we just live on the other side of the Jordan? Why didn't we live out in the wilderness? Why didn't you just keep us there? Instead of giving us this land that you promised of milk and honey, this land that is the promised land, this land of Canaan, this land of rest, why didn't you just leave us out in the wilderness? And God says, to you and he says to me I have rest but you got to enter it on my terms the only way that you'll have victory in it is on my terms you and I need to bow the knee and we need to confess confession is this that we say what he says about sin what he says about that attitude that you've been having towards your husband It's not your husband's fault, it's your fault. Sir, those words that are in your vocabulary that belittle him, those words that you have in your vocabulary that belittle his creation, that's not just you letting off some steam, that's you sinning. That action, lying, that action looking at the computer screen and seeing flesh that you, sir, you, ma'am, never need to see is sin. Those words that you speak 
It's not a quote-unquote prayer request. It's called gossip and slander. Thinking you might be higher than you ought. Coveting new technology, coveting a new dress, a house, a new golf driver, a new job, a new spouse. You see it. That relationship that you're in, you know it's wrong. Not submitting, not loving. Kids disobeying your mom and your dad, disobeying your teacher, just being plain mean. That's sin. And every single one of us, at one point or another, can find ourselves there. You and I must come to the point that we confess that sin because that sin is devastating. It is destroying you and you don't even know it. I don't even know it sometimes. And it is restricting the life and it is slowly killing you. Verses 10 through 20, we see this sin exposed. Sin will be exposed. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Joshua's having a temper tantrum. Joshua's having a cry party for himself. And God says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel sinned. I mean, as the leader of this thing, you ought to know this. I've already promised this to you and it didn't come about. So there's got to be something wrong, not with me, but with you guys. So find it. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. This promised people, this is God's people. And God says, if this continues you will be destroyed. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning, and he brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites were taken, and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, 
the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord of Israel. Give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a a beautiful cloak from Shinar. And 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I covered them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Sin will be exposed. What do you think you would do? Now, I was thinking about this this week. What do you think you would do if we were in this room and there's no way for you to get out, so you're here, right? So you're in this room, and all of a sudden, on that screen and on that screen, your name popped up, and then there was just the sins. One, if he goes in alphabetical order and my last name is Tillman, I'm going to be here a while. And anybody who has a name after Tillman, y'all are going to be here a lot longer. What would it do? It would bring shame. It would be embarrassing. But you know what? It would also expose a lot of stuff that you are holding up and you are trying your very best to keep it covered like Aiken did. He thought it was fine. He had dirt on top of it. He probably had a rug. He probably had the bottom of the tent on top of it. He might even had a, uh, you know, a little table sitting over it so that eh, it's in the middle of the tent. Everything's all right. You're the same way. I'm the same way. It's not all right. We cover things up because we're scared of what people sitting beside you might think. All along forgetting what the one, the one, he already knows it. He's already paid for it. Yet we try our very best to keep it covered. You and I might belittle our sin. You and I might think that we have this understanding that our sin's a little mishap. We write it off as a part of how God made us. With this little anger issue, we think it's because of our third grandfather's wives, great-grandfather who was part Irish. That's just who we are and it's slim your sin and my sin will be exposed or maybe you aren't the one who belittles your sin maybe you you think of your sin as too great that God there's no way that God could love you because of this sin Because of this one sin, because of these uh, group of sins, that there's no way that God could ever forgive you. And you might look at it so harshly. You say, oh, poor pitiful me. There's no one who has it like I do. 
There's nobody who struggles in this area like I struggle. Hello? We're all in the same boat. What must happen for you and for me to have victory over sin is that you and I have to have a healthy view of sin. You and I can't belittle our sin and think somebody else's sin is so great. You and I can't look at our own sin and say, it is so great and everybody else, they're not as bad off as I am. We have to have a healthy, correct view of sin. And this is that view. First, God sees every single sin. Every sin, He sees it. You can't hide it. He sees your mind thinking about sin and that you never even act out it physically. Ma'am, He sees you killing your husband in your mind. Sir, he hears you belittling your wife in your gray matter. That space in between a dendrite and an axon in your mind that's raging, he sees it. He knows it. That thought, that motive, that attitude. Women and men, when you lust after another, you don't even make it physical. This is just going on in your brain, in your mind. You're an adulterer. That's what he says about sin. God hates sin. He absolutely abhors it. He doesn't give you a pass. He doesn't give me a pass just because we're Mississippians. And Mississippians yesterday beat up on some Texans and some Alabamians. He does not give us a pass whatsoever. He hates sin. Yesterday evening, I performed a wedding. And as I was performing the wedding, I was thinking about this morning, and I was thinking about this passage. You know, in the weeks prior to the wedding, I went through um, pre-marriage counseling with Brooke and and Michael, and uh, we talked about divorce. And so much in the church is, is looked upon as divorce. And it's like divorce is a major sin and there's other sins in, in the church that aren't as major. And that is a flat out lie. You have to have a healthy view from God's perspective on sin. He hates divorce. His word states it point blank in the book of Malachi. I hate divorce. Guess what? He hates every other sin. It's no greater, it's no less, it is sin, and he hates it. And he abhors your sin, he abhors my sin, whether it is that of divorce or gluttony or attitudes or whatever, he hates it. He hates the sorry attitudes that we have toward our kids, toward our spouses, toward our co-workers. Sir, he hates the selfishness that you have when you come home and you veg out in front of that video game hours at it on end, that TV show. Ma'am, he hates that, he, that you will not give yourself totally to your husband. 
that you won't love Him as you stood before Him and all these witnesses said that you would. Sir, He hates that you mentally, emotionally, or even physically search for another instead of your wife to meet those needs. That is sin. And it will be exposed. Just as Achan's was exposed, it will be exposed. The answer for you to this sin problem is simple. Look there in those verses again. Get up, Joshua, and go tell the people to consecrate themselves. Verse 13. Get up! Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. There's no way that you, River Bend, will have victory until we, we, consecrate. It's not that God won't use a sinful people. God uses sinful people every single day. He used the sinful people at Ai to bring destruction. But here's what He won't do. He won't use His sinful people. And if you have bowed the knee and said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that I am one of His, He is my Lord and my Savior, my Master and my God, then He will not use You and I must get right. We must confess. We must repent. Turn away from sin and turn toward God. You and I must come back to Him today. Restore that relationship, that fellowship, and see all the other relationships that are on a horizontal plane come back to us. Third and fourth point as I close. There are consequences to sin. There are consequences to your sin. There's consequences to my sin. There are consequences to Achan's sin. There's no way for you to downplay the consequences of sin. They are there. God doesn't play around with sin. It caused a rift. No, it caused a chasm in a relationship. And the only way that that chasm was ever filled was by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because of your sin, sir, because of your sin, ma'am, you and I were enemies of God. You and I found ourselves on the same side as Satan. That is a consequent. Sin is a slap in the face of God. And he states to you and me, and he says, I have the very best way for you. And you and I say, I don't think so, God. God will not be mocked. There are consequences to sin. Ai defeated the children of Israel. Achan is found and killed along with his family and all that he owned. Sin is dealt with. God calls you and He calls me to consecrate ourselves so that victory could be had. Chapter 8, verse 1, And the Lord said to Joshua, Don't fear, don't be dismayed, 
Take all the fighting men with you. Arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given them into your hand and the king of Ai. I've given him his people, I've given him city, and I've given his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Joshua, here's the way you will have victory over Ai. Take everybody with you. You've consecrated them. They're on the same page. They're right in step with you. You take everybody with you. You put a portion of them behind the city and they are in ambush. And the others, you will call for the attack. The people of the city of Ai, they will come out. And when they're coming out, those that are in ambush will raid the city. They will destroy the city. And you will see defeat. And it's all for you. The only way that you and I will have victory is if we find ourselves like David did. Psalm chapter 51 is where he gets right with God. He sees sin in his life. He sees sin in his parts, in his members. And he says, Lord, it's yours. I was born in iniquity. I have transgressed you. Against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. And he comes clean. And victory is had, and he says these words. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. He doesn't want your money. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He doesn't want things. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Why don't you come today, afresh and anew, and why don't you bow the knee? Why don't you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Why don't you ask Him to search you and see where the wickedness is in you? Why don't you and I say the same thing that He says? And gain victory. Father, I bow before you. Lord, what a passage, what an event, those at Jericho and that at Ai. Father, to see you as you are and what your desire is for us. God, I pray. I pray that it hasn't just been me speaking, but Father, you have been speaking. Father, that your spirit has been haunting us of things that we have covered up. God, I pray that you would unearth them just as you did the 50 shekeled bar of gold and that robe and all the pieces of silver so that we might come clean. Thank you so very much for your son Jesus, for it's only by his blood that we do not receive the wrath that is due our name. Father, as we stand and as we sing, Father, would you draw us back to you? Would you 
Would you speak? And Father, might we come and bow the knee at the altar and confess with our mouth to you. Lord, we put physical action to what you're doing inside of us and what your desire is for us and lay it at the cross because it's at the cross that it was paid for. It's at the cross that there is victory from it and that there is no more through your son. Sir, the invitation is for you. It's for nobody else. It is for you. Ma'am, it's for you. It's not for anybody else in this room. God desires to speak to you. Boys and girls, he desires to speak to you. He desires to speak to me and he wants us to obey. And so the invitation is an opportunity that you have, that I have to come back to him. So as we stand and as we sing, would you obey?